This podcast is a ministry of United Baptist Church in Valdez, North Carolina. We're glad you're here to listen as Pastor Steve Matthews teaches from the Bible. We would love it if you would worship with us in Valdez at 2638 Messer Road. We gather at 9.45 a.m. for Sunday school and 11 a.m. for a worship service. We also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesdays to study God's Word. Thank you for listening today. We're going to go in our Bibles today to the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 1. So you can be making your way there. One of the things I love most about being part of a local church, and especially this local church, is the, the friendships you get to build with people you might not otherwise And to watch that happen, you see people very young building deep, meaningful, profound friendships with people who are much older. And that doesn't happen in a lot of other environments. And worshiping here with you, I see people who've been friends for 30, 40, 50, and even longer years, known each other from elementary school and and all through your lives as adults and into retirement. And it gets me thinking about how God's great grace to us is that He gives us relationships with other people. He gives us friendships with people not like us in every way, people we don't always see eye to eye with, but people we come to truly and deeply love for all of our days here on earth and hopefully into eternity. So where Paul here is writing to his friends... I want to see how Paul writes about the way he prays for his friends. I I believe that in all the ways we invest in friendships with the people around us, one of the most profound and one of the most easily overlooked is prayer. We're quick to pray for an acute need in the life of a friend. Someone's sick. Someone's child is injured. Someone's job is lost. Something important, significant, sudden. We'll stop and we'll pray. But the way Paul writes about the prayers he has for his friends, I think can apply to us. And if we would apply them, I think we would see a change in perspective and a deepening of those relationships that matter so much. So we're going to pick up in the third verse, chapter 1. The first thing that Paul wants his friends to know is that he prays for the grace of God in their lives. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all. Now, Paul, we're, we're going to notice before we read along here how emphatic he is. Every remembrance, always, every prayer, all of you. He's, he's an extremist here. Every, everything, when he prays, when he remembers, every time he thinks of his friends, he prays for them, all of them, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is praying for his friends. And the first thing we see is that his prayer is seasoned with gratitude. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. The people closest to us are often the people easiest to take for granted. 
The people closest to us are the ones that, that we expect the most joy and happiness from and feel the most pain when they accidentally, inadvertently, or purposefully hurt us. The people closest to us and most important in our lives are often the people for whom we are least thankful. So he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every time I think of my friends, he says, I direct my gratitude toward God because Paul understood that God made us to love each other and to find a great fulfillment in that. And he says, thank you, God, for my friends. Thank you for what they mean to me. He says, always, every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. He says, I thank God for you and I pray for you. And in a moment, he'll talk about specifically what he prays for, for his friends. And we're going to challenge each other to pray for our friends that way. He lifts up the needs of his friends, but he does it with joy. And the joy arises from confidence, which he'll talk about in a moment, that, that God is at work in their life. We can pray for one another for the needs we have, certainly for those things we talked about, those, those real needs that arise and that, that interrupt lives and that, that become crisis. We should pray for one another in those times. But he says, I, I'm praying for all of your needs. I'm praying for all of you. I thank God for you. And it's a joy to pray for the things that you need. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, they've, they've been building a history together. And he says, I thank God. I pray for you with joy. And I thank God for the fellowship we have in the gospel. The relationship that we've built together serving Christ. And, and we do that here in church. You do that in your homes. You do that, I hope, at work with other believers. There are people who, who share your love for Christ and a love for one another. And you build this fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I love that. Because there are some people in my life who the day they met me, they decided to be my friend. What a gift that's been. Others, it took some time to build. Others, the first time we met, it didn't go so well. I bet you've had those. But over time, it, it turns into a deep friendship. He says, this, this friendship we've got, this relationship, the first day until now, it's, it's just been building because of their love for God and their love for one another, which is a biblical concept. Over time, it grows. And he says, I pray with confidence, being confident, watch this, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of, of Jesus Christ. The thing about friendships is that they're all with fallen, sinful, imperfect people. Here, here, here we are, perfect and holy and right all the time, and, and the only people we have to be friends with are people who are fallen and, and imperfect and sinful, right? So it takes a lot of grace. Well, they have to show grace to us as well because, of course, we're in the same boat. And so when he prays for them, he says, I'm confident, I'm, I'm sure about this. That God is at work in your life. God started something in you, my friends, and he's going to complete it. The thing to remember as we pray for one another is that every one of us is still being sanctified. There's not a friend on earth who won't hurt you with a careless word. There's not a friend on earth who, who sometime you're going to need them and they're just not going to pick up on that and not be there. There's not a friend on earth 
that is going to always provide everything you need, and that's not their job, by the way. But when we examine each other's lives closely through the relationships that we build, we realize that just as I'm a sinful person, so are you. And he says, as I pray, it's not with judgment, but I'm just confident. God started something in you, and he's going to complete it. God's sanctifying you. And that gives me this great honor to to show grace in your moments of sinfulness or weakness. That side of you that you wish I'd never seen, I can overlook that with grace because God is still working in you just like he's working in me. A while back, we had an opportunity to to visit Isaac, and he was in Petaluma, which is right outside of San Francisco. So we went there and and visited. What a beautiful city it is. And they've got this great big bridge. You've seen it, the Golden Gate Bridge. And we, 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 we walked over it, and it was like half an hour to walk it. It was a long bridge. And it was built in the 30s, way, way, way back. So I was reading about it, and they had this problem where the workers would fall off into the, to, uh, the water, and they would die. And people would stop working for, for paralysis and for fear because you're so high up and, and you're, you're working and the people around you are falling off. To solve the problem, they, they made and slung underneath the bridge a giant net. So that if, if you fall, the net will catch you and we will fish you out of the net and you'll go back home at the end of the day. And here's what happened. People stopped falling off. The knowledge that the net was there replaced fear with, with some confidence and some faith that they could do their job, that they could build and not have to worry about staying alive. The net was underneath them to catch them. That's what friendships do for one another. When we can be the net underneath each other, confident that he who began a good work is, is going to bring it to fulfillment. And I can thank God for you, warts and all, and that I'm not your judge, I'm your friend. And then we can focus on living a life together in Christ. Then faith is replaced with fear. He, he knows their weaknesses. He'll talk about some of them in this epistle. But he says, I thank God for you. God's working in your life. I pray for you, and I'm thankful for what we've built together. That's the attitude he brings when he prays. It's an attitude that arises out of a proper perspective on the friendship they have. So meet me in verse 7. His first big idea was that I'm going to pray for the grace of God to work in the life of my friends. The second big idea is that I'm going to be devoted to one another no matter the cost. He says, just as it is right for me to think this of you. Now, he made this statement. God is working. I'm confident. He started it. He'll finish it. And now he's going to evaluate his opinion here. It is right for me to think this of you all. Am I right to assume that God is at work in you? Absolutely I am. Why? Because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Be devoted to one another regardless of the cost. Here's what that looks like in our lives. We guard our attitudes and keep the saints in our hearts. He says, it is right for me to think this of you all. Now, 
we have some words we use to evaluate some aspects of the life of faith we live. And we talk about some but not others. I want to give you three words here, and they all start with ortho. These are things that the church used to talk about, but we don't a lot anymore. Have, have you ever been to an orthodontist? Have you ever been to an orthopedic surgeon? Some have, okay? The word ortho means straight. So you go to an orthodontist and they straighten your teeth. You go to an orthopedist and they straighten your feet. Okay, that's what ped means. But they do it by fixing bones. So ortho means straight, in line, in alignment, as it ought to be. So they came up with these words. One is orthodoxy. Right doctrine, doctrine aligned with the truth of God, thinking rightly about God, self, and others. We want to be orthodox in the way that we, we understand the world the Bible has explained to us. And that's a word a lot of us know. The next one is orthopraxy. And that means right behavior. Okay? That the practice of my life is, is the right things. So if, if I say, I love Jesus... I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and, and I have all this right doctrine, and then I go out and I rob a liquor store. Just an extreme example. You're going to look at my life and go, well, his actions don't line up with his beliefs, do they? Well, we do that, but in much smaller ways. It's, it's not so visible, it's not so extreme, but, but as we're orthodox, we also want to have orthopraxy, which is the right actions. We want to live right because we believe right. But the third one that hardly anybody talks about in it anymore, which is where I want to bring us, is orthopathy, which means right emotions or right feelings. And this is what Paul does here. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all. See, the danger of our culture, the world that we live in, is this assumption that feelings are self-justifying. I feel it, therefore it must be right. This is my reality. This is my experience, and I'd, I don't need a reason for it. It's just an emotion that's arisen within me, and, and that's good enough. That stands on its own face. I feel it. You can't argue with my feelings. Well, Paul understood, and historically, the church has understood that my emotions, my heart is deceitfully wicked and can separate me from Christ, and so I need to be, just as I evaluate my doctrine, do I believe the right things? And I evaluate my behavior. Do I do the right things? I need to evaluate my emotions. Do I feel the right things? Have you ever been really mad at somebody? If you want to raise your hands, you can't, sure. Have you ever found out it was all just a big mistake? And they were innocent. And they didn't even do it. And they weren't even there. And they felt like it was all a misunderstanding. And all of that emotion, it feels very real. It exists. But then you realize that, that wasn't justified. They didn't do that. Okay? Our emotions, just because they exist, don't always align with truth. And so Paul here, thinking about his friendships, he said, let me make sure I'm, I'm thinking and feeling rightly about you. And he says, yeah, that's, that is right because of grace. Guard your heart. We do this in two ways. One is watching out for people who are toxic and not truly friends. 
There, there are people that will just suck all the life and joy out of you. In a one-way relationship that doesn't honor God, that doesn't edify you at all, and by the time we figure out how toxic it was, often it's cost us so much. He says, I'm going to think about, is it right for me to think the way I do about you? And as hard as it is, sometimes we, we need to put some space between us and people that are toxic because our emotions that keep us in the relationship are not aligned with the reality of what's going on. The other way is to avoid judgment over severe judgment. Because if you look close enough into my life, you're going to find things you don't like. You're going to find God is, is still working on what he began in me so long ago, but it's not the day of Jesus Christ yet, so it's not completed, so I'm still fallen. And so if we're going to have relationships with each other where we see closely into each other's lives, then we're going to have to cut each other a whole lot of slack and show each other a whole lot of grace because God's still working, and that's what he'll, he'll bring us around to. We guard our hearts. I don't open my heart to anybody and everybody, because some people are just there to, to pillage and plunder and loot, and I don't judge harshly those that I do love, because God's still working on them. Guard your heart. To build relationships in service and in suffering that sustain you. He says, inasmuch as, as both in my chains... Now, do you know where Paul is when he writes the epistle here? He's in prison. Somebody had to bring the, the paper and the pen in. And, and they wrote it, and then they took it out, and Paul stayed there because bars were holding him there. Paul knew what it was to suffer. In, in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, the, the work of Christ done together with these people, you are partakers with me of grace. He says, through the good and the bad, we share together in grace. And that's what holds them together. Build relationships in service and in suffering that hold us together. Grace. Often during the hardest parts of our life, we want to draw away alone from the people that, that love us the most. And he says, we shared in chains. We shared in, in, in service to Christ there, and we're, we're building something, sharing together the grace of God. And then he says, we're going to let the love of Jesus lead us to love each other. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all. Man, I wish I were there. I wish you were here. I wish we could be together with the affection of Jesus Christ. He says, God loves me, and that radiates, and I love you. Love each other with the love of of God, which again brings us right back here. What matters most, love God, and then right after that, you love people with that same love. One of the, well, the, the, the first Af, African-American major league baseball player. I bet you know his name. Jackie Robinson had the guts to be the first. He went on a tour all through the South where he suffered insults and fastballs aimed at his head and horrific treatment. One time he was in 
Alabama. And he went out to the field to play ball, just to do what he was there to do. And uh, the crowd was heckling, shouting, screaming, just cruel behavior. And he just stood there, and a friend of his, Pee Wee Reese, in his hometown, playing ball, went out, called a timeout, and just went and stood with his arm around his friend and stared down the crowd until they had had enough, and and they saw this gesture, they saw this friendship where these two men had trained, suffered, learned to love each other, share grace together. And in a, 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 a horrible moment, that friendship sustained the one who was suffering so badly. It, it's unlike the two men who went hunting. And out of nowhere comes out a grizzly bear, giant grizzly bear, angry bear. One of them turns to run, and his buddy asked him, you, you can't outrun that bear. And he said, I don't have to, brother. I just have to outrun you. God puts us in relationships to share grace through the best and the worst of experiences, not to outrun each other and leave each other behind. Now, this is about praying for friends. His posture toward them, though, sets the tone for what he actually prays for when he prays, which he'll talk about in verse, verse 9 through 11, praying for the things that matter in the lives of our friends. He says, and this I pray. He said, I pray for you with gratitude. I pray for your needs. I'm confident the God who began a work in you will will finish it. And I'm thankful for the grace we share together. I know my heart toward you is right because God is good to you just like he's good to me. And then he says, here's how I pray. That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent and may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Here's, Here's how he prays. Here's specifically what he prays for. And this was the challenge I want to bring you to. You may want to write down what we're talking about here because there are people in your life that you want to pray for He says, first of all, I I pray for love. That your love may abound still more and more. Now, bringing what he wrote over into English doesn't really convey how emphatic he is. Abound. Still. More. And more. The language he's using doesn't give him too many options to say it any more strongly than he does. His, His audience would have caught that. Abound is good enough because abound is like more than you need. And abounding still means that it continues on. And then more and then even more than that, he prays for this this great, abundant superfluity of love in their life. Just so much love. Because Paul understands what Jesus taught, that the greatest thing a person can do is love the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, their mind. There's nothing greater in the eyes of God, than to love God. And the second is right behind it. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. For the friends that you care about, for the children you're raising, 
for your coworkers, for people you go to church with, people you go to school, the uh, kids down here, wasn't that beautiful? 11 of them, just beautiful children, building friendships with each other and with others. The most important thing in every one of their lives is love. They can succeed in every earthly thing and, and fail to love the Lord their God. And what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? He says, I, I pray for love. Your love may abound. Pray for your friends to, to truly learn to live in and to share the love of God, love, of, love for God and love for each other. They've never loved enough. They may abound still more and more. Pray for your friends to love. Two, pray for knowledge and discernment. In knowledge and all discernment. That is, two things are happening here. One is what they know. Pray for your friends to know the ways of God. To understand the Bible, that, that when they go to church and the pastor preaches, light bulbs come on and they say, I, I get that. I understand that. Oh, that relates to this, and now I'm seeing the bigger picture here. Pray for your friends to have knowledge. But knowledge alone isn't enough. Discernment is the right use and application of knowledge. That the, they become wise people. We live in a world where it is easy to get so wrapped up in Everything so superficial. I remember when uh, COVID hit years ago, way back in my day when COVID hit, your day too, and people went home and I kept seeing people posting on the internet how they filled their days with, with wine and Netflix. For days on end, mind numbing. With no import, no value not shaping their souls in any positive way at all. And I thought, you can only do that so long before it truly actually changes you. And you start losing wisdom, and you start losing perspective. And that spills over into the next thing he'll talk about. Pray for your friends to have knowledge and wisdom and discernment. Pray for your friends to be wise, godly people. Thirdly, pray for their value system. Verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Because the more we're immersed into a world that's, that's ungodly and superficial, the more we start to take on values that didn't arise from the mind of God revealed in Scripture, but arose from a world rebelling against Him. I pray that you may approve the things that are excellent. Pray that, that what they value, what they think is important, how they spend their money, how they spend their time, what they give their effort to, pray that it's excellent. Because they have so many, we all have so many options to waste the life God gave us on so many shiny things, so many easy things, so many shallow things. And the only thing that, that draws us higher and closer to Jesus is that we value him above all else. Pray that your friends value what is excellent. Four, pray for your friend's holiness. That you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Okay, That you may be sincere, that means the real genuine thing. Pray for your friends to be who they say they are. Genuinely and honestly under God. And that's internal. And without offense, that's external. Pray for their behavior. Pray that they can live godly lives until 
they meet Jesus or he comes back. Pray for them. That out of a true heart of love for God, true behavior, holy behavior would arise. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Pray for them to be productive in their walk with God. Have you ever had an orchard filled with fruit? Or have you ever been to one? It's beautiful. But imagine you have, have an apple orchard in the mountains. And you get no apples. You got acres and acres of trees and you have no apples, then what you have is what? It's useless. There's no fruit. There's no, there's nothing to sell. There's no return for the effort. There's no sweetness. There's no beauty. There's just the trees that suck life. Pray for your friends to be productive, filled with the fruits of righteousness. Pray for, for her that, that her walk with God would draw her closer to Him and that she would see the effect of that in her life, in her witness, in her knowledge, in her wisdom. One more. Pray for your friends to, to glorify God through a life of faith and love. He says, to the glory and the praise of God. You, I, and any friend you could pray for, live in a world where it's easy to focus on everything but God. It's easy to worship anything but God. It's easy to live day in and day out until decades go by and your life is not given any praise and honor to God. We have so many options other than Christ to spend our time on to love and value. He says, I pray that you live to the glory and the praise of God. Pray for your friends to have a life of faith and love that brings praise and honor to God. I think the greatest thing we can do for one another is to pray for each other. And yes, we pray when we're sick. We pray when we're grieving. But how many people close to you, people you love, do you actively pray for their spiritual development, their, for their knowledge, their wisdom, their love? their values, their priorities, and for the fruit they bear in their life. My challenge to you, and it's a challenge to me as well, pray for the people you love the way Paul prays for this church. I'll read it again. We'll wrap it up. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Pray that way for your friends and for your children and your grandchildren and for the children in this church. Watch what God will do in their life. Will you join me as we pray? Our Father, thank you for friendships. It's not good that man should be alone, and so you made others like us. And how deeply fulfilling that is to know and love somebody over time. What a gift. Thank you, Lord. That's grace. And we share in it together. So God, I pray that you would help us to pray for our friends. Help us to do so with gratitude, with grace, knowing that you're working in their life. You're not done with them yet, just like you're not done with us. Help us to evaluate our emotions that we feel rightly as we should toward them. 
and help us to pray for their love, their knowledge, their wisdom, their values, their priorities, and for the fruit they bear. That we and they both together would bring praise and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This podcast is a ministry of United Baptist Church in Valdez, North Carolina. We're glad you're here to listen as Pastor Steve Matthews teaches from the Bible. We would love it if you would worship with us in Valdez at 2638 Messer Road. We gather at 9.45 a.m. for Sunday school and 11 a.m. for a worship service. We also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesdays to study God's Word. Thank you for listening today.